Well, so you're recording, so now I feel I feel like we should do something. So the whole on-ramp thing. No, now, this is the on-ramp. We're doing this. What we're doing right now uh, this is, is the on-ramp. All right. Welcome to the second episode of Sanity Check. Uh, we're recording today, January 25th, in the middle of a really batshit crazy week. It will be the three of us today, Ben, Michael, and John, to discuss the state of what remains of our country and our own personal psyches in Trump's America. So um, let's get to it. I think we're going to start with a report from John on his experience uh, at protests. <laughs> report. Um, it's like a dispatch. Yes. John, John is our, our, our protest I, dispatch yeah, report. Stand I'm, and deliver. I'm, from, I'm the Jake Tapper of... Um, yeah, Kate, I mean, I, I think, think everyone, we also, oh, oh uh, real, that's actually, all right, I, I do look pretty good. In I think you're the Checky Beckford. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, I think as, you know, it's important that the Women's March be summed up by three dudes, two, two of which you weren't, didn't participate in all. I think that's called the, the CNN thing. approach. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I went to the. The women's march in um, women's march in New York. Uh, I've spoke to a lot of friends of mine who talked about how um, how packed it was. We we went towards the end. Uh, me and one of uh, the other people uh, who do this podcast did did it towards the end. It's really it was very heartening. Um, I think it was the last time I felt hopeful, <laughs> which was uh, Saturday, um, because. To feel the energy of everyone and such a such an enormous amount of people. I think in New York it was what is it was fifty thousand six six hundred thousand six hundred fifty five hundred thousand. There have been really varying numbers. Um, mm-hmm. In New York, I've seen anywhere from one hundred and fifty thousand to half a million. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've mainly seen only the the half a million or more. Um, I think I thought the number was pegged by someone as like worldwide three point seven to four point two million people. Um, at but five thirty-eight, I think did they use some kind of yeah al- estimation algorithm, and they estimated it as north of three million. Uh, okay, but that there were, there were large error bars. Yeah, so it could could vary. And, it, quite and a bit certainly in New York, people and I'm sure a lot of these marches could have cycled around. So it's it, unique individuals as well as people who did it for shorter segments and therefore aren't included in, in all that. I think one of the main takeaways there, though, is that there were a lot more people than expected particularly outside of Washington. Yes, um, every march, as far as I understand it, it featured more individuals than expected. It said it happened to be a very pleasant day weather-wise across America, thanks to climate change. Yeah. Uh, Chicago was unseasonably warm for winter, so they had larger-than-expected numbers, and people couldn't even... There was a planned... Um, the march didn't, wasn't even allowed to, to, to happen. It was just ended up being a rally in a public space because there was, there was too many people to, to go down the designated march area. Basically, the same um, thing happened in D.C. There wasn't much of an actual march there mm-hmm. either. Uh, and the, the thing that surprised me that I didn't fully know is how widespread the march would be, not just internationally. Like I didn't know that it would be in, in Antarctica. There would be a, some. Uh-huh. And then, uh, but that... Across America, like the cities that showed up were like Birmingham and Lansing, Kansas City, St. Louis, Sacramento had one while also there being one in San Francisco, which surprised me. Um, it was really tremendously widespread that there was people just want Ithaca, New York, people wanting to just make sure that they were included and voicing their opposition. There was a sizable, um, uh, a sizable gathering of people in Trenton. 
which mm -hmm. close to kind of equidistant from both New York and Philadelphia, where there were obviously large, uh, oh, large rallies. Mar marches as well. More than 100,000 people in Denver. Mm-hmm. Quite packed there from That's... the photos I saw. Uh, so that was inspiring, I think, for, for all of us. It was also... Um, I think it's lost in this, particularly when like three guys talk about it, is that it was a, a march, you know, organized and, and, and introduced by women and, and on behalf of sort of women's issues, which are tremendous, were just immediately under attack um, that like that this is going to be an administration that is very hostile uh, towards, uh, well, certainly reproductive rights, um, but as well as just basic health care issues for women. I mean, um, in the Minnesota House, yeah. the Minnesota House has passed uh, a law that would limit Minnesota state plans or basically reduce requirements for Minnesota state health care plans to include pretty much all coverage related to pregnancy. That's prenatal, postnatal, yeah. emergency, cesarean, every step of the way of medical checks and screenings for women who are pregnant would basically be uncovered and have to be paid out of pocket. Uh, that is an incredibly hostile act towards, uh, towards women um, and really towards families and human beings in general, as well as just life. Uh, so the, the threat felt very, very immediate, very, very quickly. Well, thankfully in that particular instance, it's very unlikely that that bill will get through the state Senate, though the state Senate is now controlled by Republicans in Minnesota for the first time in quite some time. But it will definitely not get past the Democratic governor. Yeah, I, um, I guess I feel less hardened by that. doesn't make it any that. better. Yeah, and I feel less hardened by that because it's, it's disconcerting that it would even come up in the first place. And we have been relying for a while, certainly under Obama, on... Dem reasonable Democrats to put the kibosh on legislation we consider extreme, but we are not under an environment nationally for that to happen. And so what we see in the states is the most extreme impulses sort of leading the charge. And if we let we, we don't speak against those extreme impulses when they're nascent and when they don't have power, those impulses will find a way to eventually grab the power they can and then force everybody to obey those restrictions and those are not possibly point. possible measures like there's no way not covering pregnancy on healthcare plans is possibly popular because everybody has families conservatives have families liberals have families in everyone cost... was directly connected to a pregnancy at one point yes and everyone has at one point been involved with pregnancy um and so that that would come under attack by people who are probably advocating pro-life positions is really very terrifying and very terrifying to, to be a woman to feel like who who are the allies and in a state that is you know largely considered blue Minnesota uh, aside from their their governor and who their senators are that it would happen in their local government it's a question of both how we've lost sight of local elections and also maybe not understanding the extremism that is is in place in the government at that level I think that we also forgot a little bit about how certain topics and certain issues uh, existed in the pre-Obama era. So pregnancy, for instance, uh, before the Affordable Care Act in Texas, pregnancy was considered to be a pre-existing condition. Mm -hmm. So if you were a pregnant woman who did not already have 
health insurance, it was extremely unlikely that you were going to get it, or if you did, you were going to have to pay a massive amount of money. And that was made illegal under the Affordable Care Act, and uh, the repeal of it could be pushing things uh, back in the prior direction. I, I have friends who were found out that they were pregnant in the summer of 2010 uh, before the Affordable Care Act had f officially come out. Um, and at the same time, uh, my friend's husband lost his job and therefore his employer-based insurance. And they called the insurer and were like, well, my, he called the insurer, my wife is pregnant now. What do I do? And they described it as like this very apologetic explanation that they can do nothing, that they were just going to lose their insurance and they had to figure it out on their own. Um, so I understand that, like, we, I guess we are, these editeds are maybe not necessarily new. I don't know, though, what's confounding is I don't think we would think people, regardless of whether they live in cities or in, in more rural areas or sort of smaller cities, in the case of Minnesota, would have points of view that would be about trying to prevent women from having access to health care in a time that is tremendously essential for the development, the healthy development of a human being, given the other aspects of their politics, and that those things are hand to hand. Like no one runs on a platform of denying pregnant women health care. That's like not my, how. My guess work. is that if you did an opinion poll, the vast, vast majority of Americans, even those who voted for Donald Trump, would agree with you yeah. on that specific issue. Uh, also, Trump campaigned on making health care stronger, better, more affordable, more broad. So, I mean, the winner of the election campaigned on strengthening government health care. And, you know, mm -hmm. he was lying. I knew he was lying. Um, and I knew that empowering Paul Ryan and inc increasing health care do not go together because he's an Ayn Rand person. So, I don't think... I think what's about to happen is not something people wanted to have happen and that's not what they intended to be voting for on the specific issue on the health care yeah and i think it was a marketing success on the part of the republicans to convince everybody that obamacare was this huge disaster and mm. you know and also a huge dereliction of their responsibility to you know be good representatives of their constituents they so they chose to lie and claim that you could do all the good parts of Obamacare without any costs or drawbacks or taxes. And that's not true. And they got so excited symbolically repealing Obamacare and convincing everybody that that was a really good idea. And so now they're going to do it because they have to be consistent. But it's going to be a terrible thing for a lot, especially for people who are poor and, like, as you were pointing out, for women. It used to be that healthcare, health insurance was more expensive for women than for men. Mm-hmm. That's mm -hmm. one of the things yeah. that Obamacare prevented. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. now they're pretending for the time being that they're going to replace it with something. And so we, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen if they repeal it. But it's it's hard to imagine an approach where you can keep the good parts but get rid of the bad parts. There's no way that you can replace it without keeping the individual mandate and keep costs at the same level that they are now. I think that's literally impossible. Yeah. Um, Susan Collins uh, introduced a health care bill um, 
the bullet points are that it would be a st- it would be devolving the decision to the state. Uh, the first option is keep it the way it is right now. The second option is take that money and do a different plan, and then the that theoretically that plan would have to meet certain requirements like covering people and and so on. Although draft legislation, or you can offer no coverage expansion at all, and the state would lose the money it currently receives for insurance subsidies and Medicaid expansion. So. To me, that that choice would seem to me to mirror the Medicaid expansion. When the Supreme Court made the Medicaid expansion in the original ACA optional, on the merits, every state should have expanded Medicaid because the federal government was going to fund it 95%, and it would it would you know be such a big help to any of the poorer residents of the state. But they chose not to, and so I imagine you'd do the same ideological lines where New York would keep the ACA and Massachusetts would keep the ACA, but Alabama would... Yeah, I mean, it would be different in every state's case. I mean, in the example of New York, for instance, um, quite some time ago, New York, as a state, had essentially uh, funded Medicaid up to the levels that Obamacare uh, did nationwide. Mm. So even if Obamacare was completely repealed and not replaced with anything, people who are on Obamacare... Medicaid plans in New York State would simply revert back to state-funded ones, so their their care would essentially not change. Well, New York is in a really good situation because it's specific New York pretty rich. I mean, state-wise, New York has a pretty generous budget compared to you know North Dakota. Um, And but the sad thing to me about that is the states where the people have the worst health care are the states that are the most likely to reject the ACA if they're allowed to. Yeah, and this gets back at, I mean, it would be fascinating in a vacuum, not thinking about the actual ramifications on people's health, um, to see what would happen when the healthcare options that are currently present are simply taken away and how Trump voters would, would feel about that. I have a guess, but I agree that would be interesting. But my guess is they would blame Obama. I feel like you're right. I haven't yet come up with the rationale that they would use, but I Neither imagine they. they would come up come up with something. Yeah, they have they have not. If they had a rationale for how to pin this on Obama now, they would have already put out a plan. But they'll get there. I mean, well, that gets pretty clearly why you also hear them talking about, well, we're going to repeal it, but we're going to delay, delay the implementation of the repeal by two years. I, I think the playbook clearly is um, to make the ACA work as poorly as possible so that people start to just genuinely hate it. They've been and doing that already. They yeah. have, and they'll continue that to the point where they can offer a very bad plan and then it'll be just it'll be felt as better because of the animosity towards the ACA. It's uh, still too bad that we can't do the real solution. All along it's been irritating all since the beginning of the Obamacare thing and when they were crafting the law that we're not allowed to do the actual thing which is single payer. I know now I'm now I'm belaboring something from years and years ago, but there is a plan that is cheaper and better. 
but we're not allowed to look at it or talk about it or do it. Sure, and I think there's been some talk about how now we should more fo focus on the single payers. If you are going to find the ACA not palatable enough for you Republicans, then you've left no choice but to go to single payer, which will solve the problems you're saying, but it will require a greater tax burden for the wealthy. And a big government program. And a big government program. And we'll, and we'll see if people get fed up enough to, to move towards that. I do think that we have culturally lost the the support of, you know, Democrats have lost support of our issues based on an inability to defend government as a tool. Uh, and people no longer believe that government is a useful tool, even when the government is actually helping them. And so how to convince people right. to get not just in need, physical need for the government to provide health care, but ideologically willing to offer that position. I had a discussion um, through through social media with somebody who was a Trump supporter who felt very much that, you know, insurance companies should never eliminate insurance coverage based on pre-existing conditions, that it was immoral for them to do it, but at the same time should not be legislated to cover nor should anyone be legislated to buy insurance, which would allow for insurance companies to be legislated to cover. And so it was a system described as basically one entirely resting on the trust of insur uh, tr trust in insurers to provide appropriate coverage and then a willingness or ability to shame them when they fail to do that with no legal protections for anybody. And it's, it's just an unwillingness to understand that the government can be a useful tool. How to crack that open, how to change that is really hard because it's been something that, I mean, in a way, Watergate, a Republican scandal, cracked faith in governance. And through that exploitation of that governmental failure led to the notion of a president like Reagan who suggested that government can't help you at all. And Bush's faults in the Iraq war uh, and the failure of government policy then led to Trump being able to say that you can't trust the CIA, you can't trust institutions, you can't trust government, they're all out to get you. Um, and so we've been losing fights after also losing fights um, and losing other fights based on the fights we lost before, even though the, the, the previous loss was the failure of the opposition party. I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, specifically on another thing that happened in the last week, which was those union leaders who met with Trump about um, the pipeline and they came out of the meeting with him very excited. And I was, you know, I was thinking, union, you know, th that's those should be our guys. Those, you know, it's crazy to hear union leaders going in there and supporting Trump. But, you know, to what you were saying, there's sort of all this territory that ha that we've abandoned. We, you know, the, the Democratic, you know, coalition has abandoned, and people have been left feeling high and dry. And so, you know, this has allowed crazily the republicans to move in to what should be stronghold liberal areas and the republicans have very successfully prevented the government from working and then said the government doesn't work anyway so you know well basically they obstruct the government from working and then yeah. they hold that up as evidence for itself right and so you know i was complaining about single payer but but then they suffer no consequences for that obstruction. No, in yeah, fact, they get rewarded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything, it, it's not even just that there are no consequences. Mitch McConnell decided he wanted Obama to fail on day one, 
and not only is there no consequence, it's actually, you know, now here they are, they're in charge of the Senate, the House, the presidency, the judicial, you know, they've got everything because they made things so bad and then they offer people a solution and the Democrats, of course, were so feckless and remain so feckless that they were like, you know, oh, we're, we're so afraid of Reagan, I guess we won't support unions as much anymore. You remember the 90s, the sort of detour into third way, mm-hmm. you know, Clinton the, economics. The, yeah. This this is also isn't just simply a, a problem within government or between the political parties. I mean, Ben, you pointed out a story that I think has gotten fairly little attention given everything that's surrounding Trump. Was it Aetna? You know, so Aetna is one of the the nation's largest insurers, and it was attempting to do a merger. And in the fairly regular investigation of that. Um, by the government to make sure that there wouldn't be too much of a monopoly. During the discovery process, um, the government found that they were essentially cooking the books uh, in order to um, pull out of Obamacare. Actually, it wasn't wasn't even about Obamacare. That was the thing that was uncovered. It was that they they were, Aetna wanted to merge with Humana. And the Obama administration, I think the, the, the DOJ, the Department of Justice under Obama, was holding that up. If It might have been a different department. was holding up that merger, uh, looking into whether it would cause competition uh, issues. And so what they did is that Aetna realized that if they removed themselves from the Florida market where they were earning tremendous profits and the head of Aetna in Florida was confused as to why they would move out, they the Obama administration couldn't say that there was competition between Humana and Aetna because Aetna wouldn't exist there anymore and then would allow the merger to go through. So it was entirely to facilitate... Well, and then they could say it's because of Obamacare. I remember as soon as Obamacare got introduced, this started happening all the time. You know, everybody would be like, oh, unfortunately, Obamacare means we have to double our prices or we have to lay all these people off and it's because of Obamacare. Anything bad that happened suddenly it, became Obamacare. It, it took a few years, but yes, that's sort of the trajectory. And then because of, of some legislative issues and when the development of the ACA, they removed a number of the safeguards within the ACA that would have capped costs and had over, and gave the government greater oversight to control costs. Well, and it's this a, goes back to what we were just talking about. You know, you design okay. it to fail, and then it fails, and then you say, ha-ha, it failed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, and the, the implementation and efficacy of the state-based exchanges... Mm-hmm is wildly varying um, as well, which uh, provided extremely different environments for the private insurers in terms of what Although, services they had to offer. Even in environments that were was quite successful, it still was, it still did not lead to increased support for Democrats or for people who helped put that legislation in place, such oh, as in Kentucky uh, or, or Florida. For me, that zooms out to a much larger and more troubling point, which we don't have to go into that much, but, you know, Obama, all kinds of stats got a lot better over Obama's eight years, and Democrats mm-hmm. appear to have gotten no credit for any of that at all. You Including know, health care costs. Health care costs, unemployment, yeah. GDP, I mean, you know, anything. And that sort of, it, it, that's a fundamental theory of how the government works, supposedly, is that if you do a good job, people will notice yeah. and they will vote for you, and in that way... You'll have by a al- by almost every good. measure, Americans are better off now than they were eight years ago. But they feel awful, and I don't know why that is. Some of them. Some of them do. I mean, some of it is because there is some tremendous 
genuine, very realistically felt despair in a lot of communities for a number of reasons, um, which I guess we could segue into. Uh, I think, though, this actually provides a, a good chance to sort of launch into how all that, uh, those wonderful accomplishments that happened under Obama will become even more wonderful now that we have a, a new president. Yes. Why don't we get into a little bit of coverage of the, uh, the disaster that is about to unfold before us? Um, so, can you be more specific? Yes, I can. Did you guys watch the inauguration? Yes. John, did you watch the inauguration? I, I did not. I actually myself chose to have some rather unpleasant dental work at, during the inauguration. Oh, smart. In order, Kudos in order to, to you. Avoid yeah. it. I did later read the transcript of Trump's inaugural speech. Uh, Mike, since you actually heard him <laughs> But it was so it, much better in the original German. No, um, yes. <laughs> I, I, I would – I can t- – I would like to talk a little bit about the impression because it was awful. The it it was nightmarish to watch all the sort of normal trappings around a speech that was completely out of the norm. You know, I mean, I've watched a bunch of inaugural addresses as we all have and typically they're not they're mostly, you know, I'm honored by this. I appreciate the people who voted for me, and I hope I do a good job for you. And I also acknowledge the people who didn't vote for me, and I hope I can win you over. And isn't America so great? Peaceful transfer of power. I love you all. And then that's the end of it. So that's a normal inaugural address. And right. basically we get that. Lincoln's second inaugural, but that's not doesn't happen too often. No, right. Sometimes they're great. Usually, honestly, they're pretty boring. I, you know, even though Obama is a pretty good speaker, I didn't find either of his inaugurals to be particularly excellent or memorable but in any case what trump did he more or less just gave his rnc speech again but like even darker and bloodier um he you know i mean you guys have probably heard it called the american carnage speech yeah that's where... the, that's the poll quote yeah and it was it was frightening because it, mm-hmm. it showed me that we indeed had installed an evil, insane person as the president, that he really did think of people as his subjects, who, you know, that we were... Me- that he sort of, he kept saying, we will unite, but it sounded more threatening than optimistic. <laughs> you know, it was sort of like, we will unite or else. Um and yeah. it was very violent, and the imagery was very violent and, you know, vivid. He talked about gangs and drugs and people being murdered. Um, and it really didn't match with the tone of what's actually, you know, we were talking before, how are things really going in the United States? And the answer is, not that bad. But if you were watching his speech, it sounded like roving gangs of people were just in the streets murdering all the time. It was very striking to me that he started the speech by thanking all the living presidents who were sitting there. And then he just crashed them. Right. And then for about the next five minutes, he talked about how horrible they were. Yeah. He was like, he thanked the Obamas. He thanked them for being magnificent. He was like, the Obamas have been magnificent. And then he turned to the speech. Which no doubt they have been. The main body of the speech. And he was like, Every, the Obamas have left us with a burning hellscape filled with crazed rioting gangs you know and it was almost that immediate that he was like i really love barack obama what a great guy obama has destroyed our country um you know and it's it was very jarring and he's not he's not a gifted 
speaker in any. He has his peculiar that, gift, but it's not. It's also it's likely not elegant. Wrote very little of this. Piece, well, I mean, so, getting yes, into the writing yeah. of it as a whole, it sounded but, very but, Bannon to but, me. But, but that's a. But that is. I mean, it's not. It's an intentional thing to do to compliment someone and then immediately bash them. It's a dominance a, thing. It's a. It's a very old-fashioned power move. You know, and, and let's be clear, he was not just bashing President Obama. No, no, he was bashing two republic or several, three Republican presidents yes. because you know we were going all the way back to Jimmy Carter. So he was bashing President Reagan and both President Bushes, uh, at least as being partially responsible for the horrible state that he sees us as being in. He thinks he's better than Reagan. Before he's even become a president. And yeah, he, that's why he announced that the day of his inauguration is supposed to be a celebrated day of patriotism. Patriotic like, devotion. He, yeah, pa- yeah. It's just, it's just day, what, is, what was the f- full title? The Great Leader's Beloved Day of <laughs> Celestial Patriotic Devotion. Um, Democratic Republic. Yeah. So I, I, he's already put himself... If he praises Reagan, he'll he'll shit Reagan. He'll shit talk Reagan in the same breath as praising Reagan every time. He never praises anybody. He wants to make sure he really has not praised Reagan, particularly if you compare him to the love fest that every other Republican Scott Walker, right? He will not or Paul Ryan. I mean, you know, I I mean, Scott Walker has a particular deep abiding love for Reagan. The the thing Republicans haven't understood, uh, and Democrats don't really seem to understand either, is that. Trump will not rest unless everyone celebrates him, loves him more than any of the rest of them, including the historical figures. He won't if he is not above Lincoln by the end of his first year, he will be furious at the American population and he will distort the information as understood until so that we can present himself as being more beloved than Lincoln. I totally well, agree. I'm, I, yeah, no, I think that's certainly true. Um, just to get back to the speech again, though, for, for a moment, um, I mean, I, I think after he got over his seven seconds of praise of the, of the president, I mean, as a student of history, it was sh- literally shocking to me how similar this was in rhetoric to the nationalist, populist, fascistic speeches that we saw in the 1930s. In Europe. It had a bunch of completely shocking elements. I, I mean, agree with you. I mean, yeah. the one that from, really from stuck the, out to me was... From the imagery of the burning factories and cities to the way that the American people had been kept down mm-hmm. by uh, the international... Uh, uh, I mean, he didn't use the word international. Yeah, I don't think he mentioned but... the international bankers this time, which who <laughs> but, I don't know who that could possibly be. Right, of yeah. course not. But at, but at the expense of other people um and that the the country had to had to come together and it had to be about american goods and american workers yeah and you know and then he he literally pulled out the phrase america first again which is uh taken directly from the nazis and the american fascist so, party in the 30s that was their slogan yeah. well that was their slogan and which which they took from the nazis um, and I mean, it, it was it was very similar. He also to... said we were protected by God. I mean, there was some very strange apocalyptic yeah. religion that, that, parts. That part of is it. actually diff- different because the fascists were not so into religion. No, but, but this, God this, this, moons, this, didn't they have that? This is the American strain of demagoguery that has arisen. What's fascinating to me about America First is at the same time, 
I saw that slogan celebrated overseas in Britain by like Farageists, or we can call them like pro Brexit types, and it's talking about how there needs to be Britain first. And it seemed to be that their, their notion is that every nation should be that nation first. Like that is the proper slogan. Yet that is a world in which everyone is competing with no concern for cooperation. It's, uh, it's a Hunger Games-esque society. It, 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 but it, and it, leads a, it leads us on a definite collision course for international conflict if everybody's sole interest is purely that nation first. Yeah, because there can only be one first. There only can be one first. It's not, obviously, if you're, if you think that way, you're looking for an eventual fight. Like, like Italy worked with, you know, Germany in the case of the World War II example. But like, obviously, at the end of that, because it's history, we know the the events of it. That did not work out well for Italy, because there can be only one in the in the words of the Highlander, and that one was not going to be Mussolini. And the only thing that really disrupted the popular love for Mussolini is when Mussolini became weak, became defeated. And then everyone was like, well, clearly we, we don't want this guy to be our guy. Just also, it's another example of Republicans not actually having any principles, because for decades now, they've been lecturing us about free trade, the importance of free trade, unfettered free trade. And now it turns out they didn't actually care about that at all, ever, well, apparently. I mean, more to the point of hypocrisy, like Trump doesn't even follow the Mar-a-Lago Hotel seeks to hire foreign workers every year, and this year sought to hire even more foreign workers using a special visa that he may soon rescind the ability to, to give out, except for probably his own property. So, uh, you're, yeah, yeah uh, you're totally... I think, I think you're totally right. I have two quick hits on that. One is, did you see how he doubled the membership fee at Mar-a-Lago after he became president? So that's I mean, that's good a business. potential lawsuit right there. But then what you're saying actually allows me to sharpen what I said before, which is it's not exactly that they have no principles. It's more if if a president is willing to sign their tax cuts, they don't mind allowing a corrupt, parasitic organization to start burrowing into the organs of the United States government. They're like, that. we'll take it, because this means we get to make pregnant women have worse lives. And and that's all we really care about. I saw an interview with Steve Schmidt on... MSNBC Steve Schmidt, who was uh, John McCain's campaign manager mm-hmm. in 2008, and who is one of the rare, uh, fairly reasonable Republicans. Um, and he said that, in his opinion, there were now three political parties in the U.S. There were the Democrats, there were the Paul Ryan, Mitt Romney-style small government, cut tax everywhere, fiscal Republicans, and there was the Trump nationalist populist party. Well, that's total BS. I mean, how are they voting in the legislature? The only thing that actually matters is what the elected officials vote when the bills come up in well, their right. house well, he was or saying Senate. At the moment, he was and saying so at the- I don't think there's going to be two different Republican parties when that happens. I think there's going to be the Republicans, and they're going to pass well, the sure. tax cuts well, what or he the was saying is or that whatever it is. What we have at the moment is a coalition between the Paul Ryan Republicans and the Donald Trump nationalist populist pseudo-fascist. That, that, yeah, that makes sense. Because Congress, what Congress is doing in terms of transforming the country in ways we would feel very negative is different in a way than what Trump is doing in transforming the country uh, in a way that we feel is negative. We started off with an inaugural speech that was apocalyptic 
and 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 proto-fascist. And that was the high point of Trump's presidency so far. Like then Monday comes along, and very quickly uh, through executive orders, it's not just apocalyptic words. It's a fairly you know deleterious or negative actions that like Trump Trump is acting through executive actions right now doing things like building the wall which the republicans in congress aren't haven't necessarily said that they would support because it's going to be a large expenditure and it only helps certain states in terms of an infrastructure expenditure you're talking about states fairly far north of the border you know your kansas's and nebraska's and your iowa's that don't get to benefit from any infrastructure spending related to building that that wall. Trump, what Trump is trying, Trump is trying to do things through the executive branch that is different than what the legislature has also proposed that are sort of negative. And it, it does feel like there's sort of there is a bit of a push and shove from the outside over who's the one who's going to dictate what kind of policies happen first. Yes, yes. There, there's there's definitely um, a disconnect between the theoretical policy agenda of the Trump presidency and the traditional Republican Party, which in theory is controlling Congress. Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's theoretical at this point. There's nothing theoretical about this agenda. So so you want to go back to Saturday. Yeah, so he apparently was not a big fan of the Women's March. And so he, he sent his new press secretary, Sean Spicer, out to give his first, I, I wouldn't call it a press conference because he didn't take any questions. But press he, briefing, he they said. There you go, press briefing. And he delivered about a five or six minute pre-ridden diatribe is the only way I can describe it. I mean, he became very red in the face and he was basically screaming it um, about how um, the media was misrepresenting the number of people who had been at the inauguration and they were overstating the number of people who had been at the Women's March. And once again, this was a media vendetta against uh, Donald Trump and... Uh, they had misreported that the MLK bust had been removed from the Oval Office, even though that reporter had uh, retracted it and apologized. And uh, and then he launched into this litany of claims that were very easily provable, provably false. You know that there were things covering the grass, and so that made the the pictures from helicopters look like there weren't as many people there. And this was the first time that had ever happened, except that that had happened in 2012 as well and that there were way more people who took the D.C. Metro than had ever taken it before on an inauguration, even though those numbers are easily available, and that was not true. And in fact, there were also many more people who took the D.C. Metro the next day at the Women's March. And this litany went it, it was on, a and North, on and on. You're burying the poll quote. It was a North Korea-style news report that asserted demonstrably untrue things it was just lie after lie in, after in a, lie in a very yeah, a very hyperbolic way it was it wasn't just that like trump had a tremendously large crowd and and the press were downplaying the crowd it was the largest crowd in, in, in an inauguration in the history of the US and the world period period the largest, yeah. period <laughs> which is a, as i think I, you know someone pointed out i think it was a sports writer but like uh, or it might have been community like period is never an indication that someone Oh, I think it was Colin Joseph and, and S on Saturday Night Live. But like, yeah. When someone says period, you know they're lying. It felt to me, Ben, I mean, as someone who is interested in baseball, as the Rafael Palmero speech that he gave on yes, Congress when yeah, he denied that he used 
performance enhancing drugs. Like he's, he's so adamant because the, the, the emotion is overcoming the lack of substance and complete untruthfulness of what he's saying. And he's trying to think he can sell what's insane, the press, on a lie if he just acts tough about it. But, but at the same time, I mean, not to lose track of Saturday, what Trump was giving a, a speech in front of the CIA that was also full of blatant falsehoods. Was that also on Saturday? Trump's first act as president was to go to the CIA, stand in front of the CIA war memorial that is considered like hollowed territory for anyone in the clandestine service. And, and so he stood in, in what is sort of sacred ground for the CIA and then proceeded to talk about the size of his crowd – uh, and how he's disrespected, how, you know, sort of praised the press while also insulting the press, as we know he likes to do for dominance. I mean, I was reading some of it. Um, one of the... Uh, I mean, the best was that he accused the media of making up a feud between him and the intelligence community. Right, who he never right. called Nazis. Yeah. No, not he, even in the previous week. He said, and they said, Donald Trump did not draw well. I said... It was almost raining. The rain should have scared them away. But God looked down and he said, we're not going to let it rain on your speech. Now, the truth is, and Time reported this the day before, that it started raining the minute Trump started talking. So he's denying the actual weather, which is just a verifiable fact, because, and he's seeming to allege the notion that God altered the weather entirely for him, which is like... I don't even think people who play in the Super Bowl think God works that closely attuned to, to human individuals' efforts. No, it's true. We have, and we have a lot of photographic evidence of the rain because of the ridiculous pictures of George W. Bush yeah. pulling his rain poncho over his face. <laughs> I know, he's reliable. Yeah. So we have a... I mean, he, he told a bunch of people whose profession is to suss out truth to figure out when people are lying and just lied straight to their faces and packed that room full of... White House staff members who would applaud at certain probably pre-marked lines for applause. He has a, basically a traveling retinue of applauders uh, to make it seem like his audience is approving of him no matter where he is and who his audience is and whether or not they approve of him. Um, by all accounts, um, the majority of the CIA members in attendance were not clapping and were not particularly thrilled and m many found it very offensive the way he spoke particularly in this uh, sacred space at the CIA and he he claimed that they gave him a standing ovation when the truth was that he never let them sit down yeah he uh, also mentioned the oil thing again just to you want to give the oil line the, the, the most powerful man in the world flippantly said the following. Yeah, so he's we're, here we are. We're in front of the CIA memorial wall. Donald Trump. Okay, it's like we haven't won anything. We don't win anymore. The old expression, to the victor belong the spoils. You remember. I always used to say, keep the oil. I wasn't a fan of Iraq. I didn't want to go into Iraq. But I will tell you, when we were in, we got out wrong. And I always said, in addition to that keep the oil. Now, I said it for economic reasons, but if you think about it, Mike, if we kept the oil, you probably wouldn't have ISIS, because that's where they made their money in the first place. So we should have kept the oil, but okay. Maybe you'll have another chance. So, uh, the theoretical leader of the free world 
flippantly off the cuff suggested that he might reinvade Iraq in order to steal their oil. Well, I don't think he's suggesting that. He's suggesting that we should have taken it when we were there. I don't think he's suggesting reinvading. And I also don't think it was off the cuff. He said that might be another chance. I don't think it's off the cuff because it's a repeated thing he said throughout the election. He loves to say this is one of Um, his old chestnuts. Although, I don't, you know, with him, on the one hand, it's so, it's sort of comforting, because I know he doesn't have any, he's not referring to some real plan that he has in his mind. These are all just basically yeah. verbal ticks. Also, but just, it just also be, speaks to how he thinks. Yeah. To be super clear, that is highly illegal. Like, there it's is... It's completely illegal. There's no oh, way oh, to... Absolutely. We are long past the point in which the victor goes the spoils is a legitimate rule in the case of international conflict. I can't imagine how pissed off the CIA was having to be a part of this, um, coming in on a Saturday, although I think on a Saturday most of them, not like it was... It was on mostly a voluntary basis, yeah. as I understand. So, so they had to come in, if, if those who wanted to had to come in on Saturday, or those who were working on Saturday had to come downstairs, move, not focus on incredible, like the work that they would consider incredibly important to keeping Americans safe, but to listen to this speech that trails off into weird, unnecessary tangents about war, about doing war crimes and the size of his crowd and, and, and a pissing his, contest with the media. His unfair treatment at the hands of the media, it's, which is just like... Yeah. A, a um, so do we want to... Yeah, let, let, let's, let's continue on in, in our chronological um, because, journey uh, a, a, across the, the debacle of the last week. So the next day, Trump sends out um, one of the finest liars in the world, Kellyanne Conway, yeah, she's good at it. To, she's great at it. Shows. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, she is sort of the worst because it, it seems like, you know, certainly Trump himself and a lot of the people that he surrounds himself with are really stupid, awful people. Uh, and Kellyanne Conway is certainly an awful person. But she's not stupid. And she knows exactly what she's doing. You can see it just in the smirk that she is giving as she's talking. So she goes on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd and says with a totally straight face that the demonstrable lies that Sean Spicer, the press secretary, had uttered at very high decibel level uh, in the press room the previous day were not lies. They were simply alternative facts. So we have a new entry into the American lexicon alternative facts. Even Chuck Todd, who uh, is not the most incisive of interviewers, was um, a bit taken aback at that one. He called those falsehoods. Those are falsehoods. Yeah, he, he was more than a bit taken aback, especially for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, the thing about alternative facts is it became, you know, we're not even through the weekend, and it was like, oh, this is a joke of a presidency. Like, they don't even they're willing to lie to people and they're willing to lie about lying and they don't even really they they think that f- facts are not a, a substance based in reality they're based in what you can convince someone to believe it reminded me of the old um new york times magazine story during the bush years when the guy i forget who it was they were interviewing but he mentioned we create our own reality he 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 contemptuously referred to the left as being in the reality based community yeah, right. and it because the other line they deploy in their news appearances is that the American people don't trust the press. You know, they sort of say like, "Who cares what you say? No one believes you. They believe us." Mm-hmm. Right. They say that you should get your news directly from the press. Yeah, 
Lamar Smith, the Texas uh, Republican in the House, said, you know, accused the press of, of lying and someone asked, like, where should people learn information from? And they should, they, he said you should go to the president for the unvarnished truth. I mean, it really almost was at a North Korea level of, you know, Kim Jong-il uh, yeah. shot an 18 on an 18-hole yes. golf course. Or a 17. he ever played. Right, a 17. It, it, and he poops rainbows and ben, ben, flowers it, it, bloom it, 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 where he walks. Yeah, it's not, at, at a, it's not almost. When you say that God changed the weather for you, in the face of it not being that, that is straight up North Korea. Well, in North Korea... Kim Jong Il was the god, so he changed the world. Yeah, that's the only difference. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, he he wants to be like yeah. a lot of strong men or a lot of emperors or dictators. He wants to be regarded the way the Japanese regarded Hirohito prior to World War II, as like un- untouchable, incapable of doing wrong. I mean, it's not how we, people regard presidents. It's not how Americans were taught to look at the office of the presidency, which was with a certain level of respect, but understanding that that individual is a private citizen. What, what Trump is doing is, is during peacetime. It's right, when nothing is that wrong. Like we were saying much yeah. earlier, there's no crisis. I mean, you yeah, know. Imagine when there's an actual crisis, what is going to go down? I mean, this is, this is about what we stand for as people. We don't, we don't think of the president as someone who can control the weather, or the weather is at the bequest of the presidency. <laughs> so the, we haven't seen this mentality at the, at, in, in, in our leader, in the president of this country. I mean, I mean probably in the history of the presidency, to be, well, to be I was fair. Say, but I, like, I we think, haven't seen know, this. And this is not an original thought of mine by any means, but I think it's a pretty reasonable statement to say that Donald Trump is both the craziest and worst human being to ever be the American president. Why? Why do we? Why does Ben? Why Ben? Why do you feel you can say this when we're when he was inaugurated on a Friday and we're just on a Wednesday right now? What What happened Monday in terms of some sort of more concrete actions? Uh, well, a, a lot of things happened starting on Monday. Yeah. Um, uh, for one thing. Um, uh, the president met with Congress uh, or, or uh, small groups of Congress in order to uh, to start to uh, lay out his agenda. And uh, apparently at, at this meeting, he's again spent most of it railing against uh, the media mistreatment um, of him and uh, and how they were misrepresenting his crowd size. Yeah. And, no, and so he got into the, his, his other favorite chestnut about how he only lost the popular vote because millions of illegal immigrants voted for Hillary. But it was specifically an amount that would have given him the popular vote lead. Yes, this is a man who won the presidency. So he, he, who's saying that even though he won, he won in a tainted election, who also in uh, December, his legal team said the election is in no way tainted when he, his legal team... Uh, fighting recount efforts. Recount efforts by Jill Stein. The notion of a three to five million, uh, uh, you know, voter fraud rests on this notion that there are duplicate voters throughout the country, people who are in registered to vote in multiple states or people whose names dead. are the same are as dead. dead people's names or there's dead people on the rolls. And so 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 it's about voting registration inaccuracy. So then the, there's a presumption that's just false. Which is that the the the, fault, the problems with re- who are registered and accuracies in voter registration? All those registered fake voters all voted, which is which is not proven. 
There's no proof that any of those fake. There's like four instances I think in the last election not that are provable voter fraud. Not only is it not proven, fraud. but it has more or less been put to bed that that does not happen. Yes. No. Uh, in in, in our, this particular election, uh, the vast majority of, and this was very few, but the vast majority of the recorded examples of intentional voter fraud were actually were actually on behalf of Trump. Yes. Um, true. By voters who had been ginned up. Um, and to be so scared of oddly voter fraud that they felt that they had to commit voter fraud themselves in order to combat it. Yeah. I remember reading about one woman who voted and then she went to another polling place and tried to vote because she was, I think it was Iowa, tried to vote because she was afraid of voter fraud. So this this actually is a, you know, when Trump says that there's three to five million people, this is Trump's war on numbers because he really hates mathematics. He just hates provable facts that are independent of whether his assertion that there could be knowledge that isn't dependent on whether trump approves of that knowledge or is giving you the okay for that knowledge really bothers him Uh, well i agree with you i mean i think but specifically i i I sort of quibble a little bit but most basically i agree with you but it's there are certain things that he he knows to be true slash like the entire way his personality works rests on them being true and one of those would seems to be like he has to have the most people. He has to have the biggest audience. He has to have the most supporters. He has to win, in and every so way. and so. Yeah. All of these examples are moments where someone says, "You know, here's some evidence that you don't have the most supporters." Mm-hmm. And so, and that, so for him, he needs that to not be true. And so earlier, mm-hmm. John, you mentioned, you know, this is based on the Pew study, and I guess in a sense that's true, but really, it's more like the Pew study was around. And he was like, well, it needs to be true that I won the popular vote. So how can that – what happened such that I won the popular vote? And then he finds that report. And he's like, oh, here it is. There were well, millions of illegitimate votes. Yeah, he didn't find it. He's, he's oh, quoting – Of course someone found it for him. He's quoting some nonsense story someone made up based on that Pew study from 2012. Well, and that's, that's the other part of it. He's a conspiracy theorist. So he just he sort of sits around gathering – you know, examining and then discarding or accepting. I mean, let's not forget that this is a man who came to political prominence yeah. based on the birther theory. Yes. So in the case of the voter fraud thing, it defies not only reported instances of voter fraud that have been investigated, it defies mathematical models about how, you know, states would vote related to, like, if there was voter fraud, there would be an unexpected surge that defies how the model would have expected voter turnout to work. And there is no unexpected surges in, in across the country. Well, there simply is no evidence in any way, shape, No, or it didn't form. happen. Yes. That, cause, because it, it's, it's a falsehood it is a lie mm-hmm. uh, it is simply not the truth so in in the in the the world of him trying to control information that makes him look bad um, he also the administration announced or was announced that a variety of departments were being uh, prevented from speaking out the executive branch of the federal government directed a number of departments to not speak to the media to not give press releases to not put things on social media, on their websites, essentially to go completely dark. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, most prominently, we, we're talking about the EPA. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the USDA. And uh, in a very specific example, we're talking about the National Park Service because they had the temerity of retweeting some photographs which compared the crowd size of uh, the inauguration and the 2009 inauguration of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. 
But th- I think there are also other departments, particularly research, because it wasn't yep, just the, the U.S. CDC, the NIH um, mm-hmm. were also included in that. Um, they've had less reason to tweet than some of these other uh, groups. Yeah. But uh, we, we probably don't even know the extent of, uh, of the orders. Well, the EPA was the broadest because the EPA included not only public information through press release or Twitter, um, but it included also providing any new grants. So no, no grant, new grant approval, no existing grant approval, like no giving out monies for grants that I think are currently supposedly been approved of. So a freeze on giving out grants. It was basically a shutdown of the EPA. It was also announced that they can't do anything further unless they, they bring whatever their actions are to the executive branch first for approval. That was uh, leaked out today. And that's definitely how um, a good democracy works. That is how a good democracy works. The CDC announced that it was suspending a pre-existing, a pre-scheduled conference about the effects of climate change on health outcomes that was supposed to be set for February and had been set under the Obama administration. It announced that it was canceling that conference and that it was a, a decision made not through any administration pressure but by people at the CDC so that they could speak to the Trump administration before pursuing uh, th- this kind of scientific outreach. Uh, although that probably means it will never happen. Um, it's all very chilling. It's, yeah. uh, you know, and, and there, there have been a, a number of American citizens who grew up in the Soviet bloc who have commented on the similarities that they're seeing um, to what they experienced uh, growing up. Yeah, and this goes back to, it's not, you know, there's a specific focus seemingly on uh, environmental issues, like the EPA got the brunt of it, which is most likely linked to oil interests. I mean, it's really hard to think of it as anything anything other than oil interests. Extractive industries. Yes. I think the National Park Service really was specifically about the photograph. Yes, that was about the photo. But so the, so the EPA has gotten, gotten the brunt of it. But there is also a question, there's been a question of how is the Labor Department going to use unemployment statistics and other metrics of the quality of the economy? Like, are they going to keep this data? Are they going to release this data? Because if the data doesn't make the administration look good, will they just sit on it? And to the well, effect I- of that, Spicer in, a, in, a, in his uh, Monday press briefing indicated that he thought that the the uh, numbers used to qualify the employment rate were incorrect but he wouldn't specify right. what the he wouldn't say what the empl- unemployment rate is he wouldn't say what numbers he he ought to use he would give no numbers whatsoever well but but trump did give his correct unemployment statistics throughout the campaign he said that the unemployment in america is as high as 40% so so the un- the labor bureau keeps statistics that relate to both Unemployment, then unemployment related to that includes numbers of people who are, only have part-time jobs or are not or are not working. They have a lot of different numbers that all indicate that in the eight years of the Obama administration, the numbers plunged tremendously. And it's important to note that these offices, which are responsible for these reports, are nonpartisan. They're supposed to be, in theory, anyway. Yes, um, in order to uh, for the very purpose of not letting administrations kind of cook the books to, yeah. uh, to make things look good. But this is of the same uh, idea that the Congressional Budget Office was put under a gag order to not review inf- economic information related to any potential repeal of the ACA. So there's a, the assumption is that any repeal of the ACA would cause uh, an increase in debt, 
Um, uh, uh, and well, this was uh, after it was yeah. leaked that in within you know a year or so, uh, eighteen million people would lose insurance. But another thing was also leaked about the amount of debt that the nation would incur by repealing the ACA because we are funding uh, a health, the healthcare sector through the federal government right now through the ACA, and, and they are a pretty large sector of our economy. An enormous sector. Yeah. So to 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 stop giving out the, that money, um, which in the notion of making sure that people get receive preventative medical care or necessary medical care, uh, we would also be causing a shockwave to the to our own economy. But I forget what that well, number that, came that, out out to be. That debt number. That is a progressive argument, John. Yes, this is that a progressive is, argument. Yes. So there's been on multiple levels a fairly consistent attitude really as you pointed out from the the suspension of the uh, interior department's ability to tweet on uh, on inauguration day to this week of suspending the ability for to you know government departments that that show information that's negative to the Trump administration from releasing that information to the public we did see a heartening sort of I am Spartacus yes. response, mm-hmm. uh, which was also amusing, mm-hmm. um, from uh, a number of uh, environmentally uh, connected agencies who simply started tweeting facts about climate change. Yeah, it wasn't even in response to this. A- agencies. It was specifically national parks. It started with Badlands National Park's Twitter account. Well, it's expanded. Uh, NASA Climate has uh, joined in, and, and yeah. a few other. Yeah, the, 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 other then there's a Golden well. Gate Park, I think, joined in, and NASA's joined in, and the park rangers have an alt on alt uh, national parks account, um, yep. which is supposed to be unrelated to their role in the federal government, and therefore, and most assuredly, kept private in some way, so that they can't be traced back to individuals who could be punished for tweeting information. And, and most of those official tweets uh, have since been deleted. Through the alt account or through the no, not through the alt account, through the legitimate government yeah, through accounts. the government accounts. All those tweets have been deleted. I don't know in, in NASA there was one. Um, they may not have caught every single one yet. There was one I saw today. I think it was an, an Arctic research station um, tweet sent out a tweet just yeah. saying that they were suspending tweets because they were instructed to suspend tweets. But if they, anyone wanted to find information about you know, Arctic science, science in the Arctic, they can go to this website. And that tweet, which had no specific information, was deleted. Although all this yeah, stuff is on the Internet, so therefore saved. Again, is chilling. Yeah. Well, and it is also completely contrary to the values that our country has always theoretically held sacred of freedom of information and so on. That he would spout outright lies about the size of his uh, inaugural crowd, that he would then put out a conspiracy theory about voter fraud that is in the millions, which is far exceeds any estimation of potential fraud. That he would then... Because there was no fraud. Yeah, that yeah. there is no... Well, yeah. there are very few instances of, of fraud. And then he, that he would suspend and control accounts for you know, science, scientists, essentially, specifically, really, science research. You, know, you don't know what numbers are going to come out if they bear any relationship to reality, because he's got a demonstrated ability to say untruths related to numbers over and over and over again to try to convince people they're true. And that becomes incredibly dangerous when it's things like climate change, when it's things like labor statistics, when it's, you know, the... the, the 
fraud claim undermines American democracy. It undermines our trust in the system. Um, but we're not going to even know how much money America is producing, like what our GDP is, what our, yeah. you know, potentially. And that's, it's very hard at that point to, to know what, an, uh, what the environment is. Like we, we depend on, on these numbers. We won't even know what the census is. Like under a Trump census, who knows what the populations of counties are, what that's actually, what that numbers adhere to, because he doesn't have any interest in honest numbers and factual numbers. Totally agree. How, how, how are we trying to stay sane, you know, like to bring that question back, like in, the, in this we should talk about the period memes. I mean, I know it's like cold comfort, but I love the Sean Spicer just got trashed with like jokes where it was like Jar Jar Binks is the most beloved Star Wars character, period. Because <laughs> yeah. he seemed like wow. such an idiot. Yeah. People also went back and looked at his Twitter history and it mm-hmm. discovered that he had an ongoing. Yeah, he hates Dippin' Dots. <laughs> With Dippin' Dots. Which, like, the ice maybe cream they're not the future. best, but it seems strange to have a feud with them. <laughs> he had sent five or it's six like a small-time yeah. novelty over, ice cream Over several years. <laughs> saying, you are, you are not the ice cream of the future. I mean, <laughs> given that it's always the present, not nothing is the ice cream of the future. But the other way I stay sane, too, is I'm happy... We were talking about North, Amer- North Korea. Or, oh, boy, there's a... We were talking about North Korea before, <laughs> and... um. I feel like Americans, like, Trump has the craziness, like, style of a, of a needy dictator, mm-hmm. but I don't yeah. feel like Americans have yet adopted the, like, cowed, obedient style that, it, that you have to, oh. to like, survive well, I mean, under totalitarianism, because people are making fun of him like crazy, and even his Republican colleagues will be like, you know, if you're like, do you feel like he had three million... Like, if he would have won the popular vote, and they'll, you know, if you push them, all the interviews I've seen, they're like, no, I don't believe that, but I don't think we need to well, talk about it all the time. There were even a few Republicans like Lindsey Graham who said this on their own without being asked. Yeah, but Lindsey Graham also mm-hmm. commiserated with Jeff Sessions about how hard it is to be a white man from the South and have everybody assume you're racist. So, I mean... Yeah, I know. We don't we don't have a lot of heroes. So, do, are there any other heroes I feel like we were... There was someone... Kirsten Gillibrand. Yeah. Oh, were you fishing so, for that? Yeah. Kristen Gillibrand is my hero. Because she didn't why, confirm why any of Trump's nominees. Trump mm. wanted certain people. I, I he, gather he that she did vote for Nikki Haley, Yeah, but she didn't vote for any of the cabinet appointments. Did any other Democratic senator? No, which is so weird. I, I've been trying to figure out why Elizabeth Warren would vote for Ben Carson, because it doesn't make any sense. Democrats have a great reputation for making terrible tactical decisions for having well, all the why? right policies but terrible mm-hmm. tactics. Well, I think it gets that, you know, there's obviously a big fight going on within progressive the progressive community um, about how to deal with Trump. And one of the big fights is uh, do we try to work with the administration on areas that we're not totally disgusted by, like perhaps the infrastructure um, spending that Trump has mentioned, even though that will be highly corrupt, mm-hmm. um, or do we resist and obstruct at all opportunity? Essentially, the way the Republicans did during the Obama. The correct years. answer. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say that I don't think that that's an argument in the progressive community. I think it's in the liberal community, but I think the progressives <laughs> sort of are very clear about where their stance is. No, the negotiating and making deals with Trump 
requires believing that he will keep his word. And I, anybody who knows anything about anything from the last 30 years would never do that. If, you know, run out of the room. It's like, would you buy a timeshare? Just don't ever do it. So no, they shouldn't do anything with him. I'm in complete agreement. Yeah, I think that Trump is not a usual politician. So this isn't about bipartisanship in any way. You know, he will... Um, he will take victories that he didn't earn and take credit for them. Like I think- he's already done that several times, mostly on these when he tweets about jobs, mm-hmm. like the carrier jobs is a good example. But there was the there automobile. was a yeah there was a, there pre- like a, well. a pre-existing deal that had nothing to do with him, where Ford was like, oh, we're going to do this. And there's also a GM one where he yeah. tweeted out approval after GM announced something, which was a reinvestment, which was completely unrelated, even to though him. they were also closing a factory that employed thousands on inauguration day. So, yeah, it's, so very... I mean, just, it's almost as if any time anyone creates any job in the United States, he's going to be like, oh, there's like, OK, so so we, I like how we we're like, we're, he's the thing we try to do just keep saying and then it's immediately we're like oh god it's really hard to like to to stay on that complaining about it is one of the things that i do oh well then that's good that's important actually to cite that like talking about it i think is one of the things we do to, to stay sane i think well again a, that that's one of the reasons that we're having, we're this, having this conversation entire conversation at all so so on some of the things we talked about some things he takes credit for that he isn't responsible for we should to cover the things that he's definitely deserves to take credit for which are some of these executive actions that happened this week Yes. yes, every woman in the third world who dies from preventable pregnancy complications because of the Mexico City rule, he should get all the credit. Yeah. All right, so he he has signed a number of executive orders, and I'm sure between the three of us we can cover the biggies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's signed an executive order to start building a gigantic wall on the Mexican border. Um, he signed an executive order suspending in some cases for a couple of months, in some cases indefinitely, immigration from a number of Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. He signed an executive order decreasing by more than half the number of refugees that the United States would accept in general in the upcoming year. And, um, and well, and, I mean, to be clear, from a, a legal standpoint, these executive orders uh, don't really have that much legal power behind them uh, because they're in large part not things that the president can dictate. Mexico City um, policy is has a, is yes, powerful. That, that is certainly. But say, take the wall, for instance. You know, it, it, Trump can say that we're going to build the wall all he wants, but it's not going to happen unless Congress appropriates the money to actually do it. Yes, and this is where the, the Faustian bargain of... Uh, Paul Ryan, small government types in Congress working with, you know, Trump, Trumpian Republicans or whatever, Trumpites, whatever we want to call them, uh, is sort of comes into play. So, so also to stick to some of the executive orders, some of the ones that have been leaked, there was a leaked executive orders that may appear tomorrow, which is, you know, Thursday the 26th, uh, that were leaked to Matthew Iglesias. Uh, one is to end uh, the Dreamer program, DACA, as it's called, which provides an opportunity for children who were initially illegal when uh, brought to this country to find pathways to citizenship. That And that goes specifically against what Trump himself has said, because he said that he mm-hmm. did not have any interest in I can't believe that. he would ever lie to us. There's an, execu- there's an executive order that would um, harm 
visas for foreign workers, even though Trump's own businesses love using visas for foreign workers and ask I'm for sure more there will be in exceptions 2016. For his... There will unlike there will be well, his... if there are exceptions, this feels like an, another opportunity. If there's Trump business related exceptions, another opportunity to sue the president for well, breaking the annulments clause also, or not I the annulments clause you, for corruption. Emoluments. You don't, you don't yeah. need emoluments. a visa Thank as you. a foreign worker. I mean, uh, Melania Trump worked in this country without a visa. That is true. Um, and then there's one called, as it's listed, protecting taxpayer resources by ensuring our immigration laws promote accountability and responsibility. Um, and this is ra- rather it's un- unclear exactly unclear. what that means. But it seems yeah. to be what it would do is prevent uh, those who are illegal in the country from being allowed to receive government related services oh i assumed um, it was about not like, funding sanctuary cities uh that could that could be a part of it, it it's hard to be a sanctuary city if you're in a, if you're an immigrant and you have no access to you know welfare or even soup kitchen soup kitchens funded by the city or other city services any government service would be uh, grounds for deportation except in any government city service it's also extremely unclear what it would mean to not support "Quote unquote sanctuary cities." I mean, yes. the cities receive <laughs> enormous amounts of federal funding for all sorts of things. So, uh, w- what exactly are you going to cut off to San Francisco or Philadelphia or New York uh, because you label them? I, I have a feeling that it will not be a rhetorical question. We will discover no, what they I, will I cut off right. in the upcoming months. Um, they've they've made the illegal part of illegal immigrant seem like. Illegal immigration is the worst scourge of crime possible. And there's been a lot of evidence. And that all violent crime is linked to it. All violent crime is linked to it. And there's a lot of evidence that illegal immigrants have a much lower rate of crime statistics, violent course, crime yeah, statistics, which, uh, than the normal population. Yeah, that's but that's true. For, and which makes sense. That's forgotten. Because, of course, many of them want to stay off the radar. Of course yes. they do. You know, looking at how they link certain individuals and certain types of individuals to crime I think it's something we have to be very wary of going forward because there's going to be an effort to delegitimize the humanity of, of certain types of people. And this is one and way would, we're, he's doing it. To, to go back to our historical parallels, that would be the next step after the, uh, the inaugural speech would be to start uh, further demonizing to start, certain he's groups. He's started. Linking them, linking them to, to crimes and yeah. having uh, actual consequences. Um, Besides yeah. simple rhetorical, Th- this ones. this Muslim ban, which weirdly enough doesn't include some of the highest the countries with the highest percentage of terrorist incidences within those countries, um, it doesn't include Pakistan, for example. Uh, but it's, so that Muslim ban for Muslims, because I was at a rally today in New York that was uh, put together by CARE, C A I R, the Council on American Islamic Relations. Um, and where a lot of uh, New York City officials declared that New York would be a sanctuary city no matter what Trump did. That I'm speaking to someone who's a Muslim there who's, whose parents are in this country, and, and he was concerned about whether his parents should remain in this country because when you hear a, a ban on immigration of, of Muslims, uh, it doesn't, and you've heard other things that have been proposed past that, it doesn't feel, it feels like we're get, getting closer to uh, internment, and then from internment, from from camps, we get closer to uh, the rest of it. The rest of it, extermination. Um, and so the, the 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 concentration camp aspect of internment has already been put out by a Republican uh, member in Congress, uh, who then was forced to retract that in a in a interview 
I think in November, but shortly after the election, maybe early December. Um, so th- it's floating somewhere in, in the minds of people who are in our government. I would say that's in my top three fears is what you're talking about. You know, othering. Yes. You can have a group to blame, and especially if they're powerless to defend themselves. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think we're definitely on that path. And it's, well, that is why it is the responsibility of all uh, like-minded decent people to do everything that we can to prevent such things from happening it's not as if that has never happened in this country before yes it depends which that we're talking about but yes this country used to own slave for hundreds of years i mean this country has some really disastrous fails we performed medical experiments on african-american people through the military yeah and And i mean we did interior yeah we interred japanese americans and we didn't thankfully exterminate them at the time i don't see us interning Um, african-americans going to be stop the african-americans from voting and then intern the undocumented immigrants well i think it's deport forcibly deport the illegals uh suppress the vote of african-americans always and legal uh, latinos uh or you know uh, and then um, possibly uh, intern the Muslims. The Muslims. Yeah. Well, and, and, it, and it's interesting now that we're talking about this. I, I don't know what we count Guantanamo as, but there is a real it's sense true. in which we have already an existing facility for the long-term internment of Muslims who have not and, been accused or, char- or convicted of any crime. Yeah. And Trump during the uh, during the election promised to put some bad dudes in there. Some bad, bad dudes. Oh, those weren't the bad hombres, though. That's a different. Or maybe there was a bad hombres. I don't well, know. Of course, he it talks, was Mitt Romney who promised to double Guantanamo. No new prisoners were added to Guantanamo under the eight years of Obama. That's a pretty big sub- substantive step. Are you suggesting you think Trump might put new people there? Well, there seems to be sure. space. It sounds like so. Sure. Um, the question is what political dissonance will end up inside this is not helping me stay sane to think about what if trump says you know we found these 10 muslims who were bad dudes and we're going to send them to guantanamo yeah i'm surprised that one took you by surprise well you know there's so many yes it is i think i think we all right we would all three feel that the progress of uh, you know quote unquote progress of the trump administration but the the speed with which they're pushing forward on an agenda that during the election many people described as unlikely to happen. Or we we're just words. Like, that's just what he's yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah. He, that we, yeah. We, we're, we're taken a bit aback by the speed, the pace of, the, of this, right? I think that we probably should not have been. I mean, there, there were a number mm-hmm. of good pieces written by people who have lived in autocratic regimes who said that the most simple and important thing to remember about autocrats is to believe what they say. Yeah. Um, and these are all things that he said he was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. The Wednesday after the Friday, it's, it's pretty clear that we don't have the opportunity to really wait around to, to see what, it, what exactly is going to happen in, in, in more substantive ways. And particularly with with people like Steve Bannon whispering in his ear. So that's none of that is for, for good news. Do we feel at any, do we gain any strength in feeling like we're going to s- stand up at all? Or like, yes, I, I, I think that the, um, I think that the protests the day after the inauguration, as we already talked about, dwarfed the protests that happened in 2009 that are largely considered the beginning of the Tea Party movement. Yeah. Um, so I think we would yeah. probably have to go back to uh, the Vietnam era 
um, to see uh, a protest of this size, and I, I hardly think that that is going to be the last one. And I, I think that we're we're going to uh, see a ton of this, and I find that very heartening. Uh, I find the I found the patriotic nature of the protests to be very heartening. You know, I I think it's important to uh, not let Trump and his minions claim America as their own. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that there's any shame in uh, us claiming uh, claiming that, and I would argue that in fact it's our patriotic duty to uh, to stand up and and yeah. not let everything that has been good about America. Um, be uh, reduced into a golden um, toilet plunger. The thing that makes me feel good is that the military doesn't seem to take him seriously at all, and so when he orders them to do something, there's some chance he, they will think twice before doing it. And when I say something, I mean, for example, pacify Chicago. These are the pendulums we swing from, like, so you, so we go from, you know, just trying to, to create stirring words of an Independence Day-like speech to fight back the aliens and worrying about, uh, gen, you know, genocidal murder against... No, but I don't think that, I don't think they'll do it. That's what I'm, that's the thing I'm saying. I, yes, the military. No, no, yes. it's the military. The military won't do it. We, we're, we have yet to see the brown shirts appear. But, and, I mean... And that's the thing to look out for. This is still the America that elected Barack Obama, too. I mean, I don't... Yeah, it's not like it suddenly changed overnight. I do just on a on a hopeful note to, to maybe end on when uh, at the end of when I did the women's march when I walked in the women's march uh, with a, a lot a lot of uh, very um, powerful people and it's it, what's interesting about these marches is the intersectionality as the kids love to say but the um, um, overlapping groups you have. Um, you know, gay men and women. You have. Uh, Muslims, Christians, atheists, Jews—you know—you have a multicultural spectrum. You have Native American women, all, all you know, mar and and men marching in this march together. And you have a lot of polit political agnostics who aren't sure; they just feel a little nerve nerve-wracked. You had older people, younger people um, coming together, and it, it's really going to take a, a, as much of that coalition standing together for as long as possible to really fight back. But at the very end of that march. Um, there was a group of young people that kept chanting, the work isn't over, the work isn't over, trying to get us to chant those words with them. And I think that's the most important thing we can leave uh, at pretty much every one of these podcasts until, uh, until Trump is gone, out of office. I think that's very reasonable. I endorse that also. I mean, his approval ratings are in the... Yeah. I don't want to take away from John's stirring words, but also everybody hates this dumb idiot. <laughs> so on that, on that, on that note, that was a technical term. I look forward to your letters. Just...